going to invite you to open your Bibles, please, to 1 Peter chapter um, 3, I think it is. And I wonder if we could, once you have the text located electronically or in print, if we could do just a quick neighborhood sharing. Um, may I have slide uh, two, please? And I wonder if we could just take a moment to, to share in ways we've been flourishing in this past week. A quick story. I need to hide it a bit, but someone from our church family was driving in the rain and they saw a woman who he did not know who was having car problems in the rain and he stopped, uh, went past, I guess, and then he came back and finally helped the person. And the person who was not part of our church family, my understanding is not part of our community, asked the man who stopped if he went to third church. And he said yes. And she said something about I heard that's what people called third church do. That's kind of cool, isn't it? So can you just take a moment? Where have you been flourishing this week? How have you been expressing the life and love of Jesus somewhere in your week? On your marks, get set, give it a shot. Where you're you flourishing. Could you do it? Do it out loud. Thank you, flourishing ones. Matt, Jim, I have slide number four. Let me show you where we're going to end up. I'd like to focus on the word bless. The previous weeks, I've tried to emphasize words like exile, hope, holy, living stones. Last week, submit. I want to focus three words, but specifically on bless. So we're going to, this week and next, talk about suffering. I'll show you. But I want to focus on bless. Let me give you just a quick heads up where we're going. This book is entitled, the bless, To Bless the Space Between Us. There is an incredible power in the human mind when it directs its light and love toward something. I heard recently of an ongoing experiment in an American university. There is a sealed off room. In that room, there is a coin flipping machine. All day, all night, it flips coins. The results are usually 50-50. 50% heads, 50% tails. Nearby, there's another room in which people are invited. Each person is asked to make an intention. Which would they prefer, heads or tails? Having made their choice, they write it down on the page, they put it in a sealed envelope, and they address it to the team who's conducting the research. The results are astounding. If a person wishes for heads and wrote it down, the machine ends up flipping to heads 75% of the time. And if the person intentioned tails, the machine went to tails 75% of the time. Do you understand the power when we are intentional about blessing? 
So we're living in a culture that is cursing. So much of our social media, and I tried to describe that to you a bit last week, it's about cursing, who you're against, who do you dislike, and all kinds of political things. It's loud, loud, loud cursing. Let me remind you of something that Jesus said. First, let me give you my paraphrase. Here's my paraphrase. What goes around comes around. Jesus said, the measure with which you use, it will be used to you. So if you curse, expect cursing. Remember, intention. If you intentionally curse, expect curse to come back. If you intentionally bless, expect blessing to come back. So where I want, let me give you a real specific example. So this is, so umbrella of mercy, here's how I bless my wife. One of, I hope, many ways. But multiple times a day, I pray this prayer. Lord, would you do, bless, lay on lane, my wife, your Zoe, Z-O-E, which is your divine life. From the top of her head to the bottom of her toes, would you pour your Zoe on and in, my wife? Every cell, every blood vessel, every artery, every vein, every organ. Lord, bless my wife with your Zoe. Not hard to do. But if a machine just flips coins, can be impacted by intentional thought, what happens if we bless? So that's where I want to go this morning. At the end of the service, I'm going to give you a blessing. I'm going to ask us to say a blessing together. We'll go there in a moment. But now look at chapter 3, would you please? So we're going to look at chapter 3. I'm going to read this and make some comments, and then I want to come back specifically to the blessing. I'm going to set up suffering, which is more for next week. I want to emphasize Jesus' victory, but I'll focus on the word blessed. So chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you. So what's he referring to? Remember last week? Back to chapter 3, verse 13. Submit yourselves, all of you, to the Lord's authority, to the, those in authority over you. Verse 18. Submit to slaves, to employers. Verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, wives submit to husbands. Chapter 3, verse 7, husbands submit to wives. So finally, all of you, everyone, be like-minded, submitting to each other, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. This is the verse I want to focus on. Do not repay evil with evil, or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, look at the purpose, purpose clause now, so that, this is why, you may inherit a blessing. Again, verse 9. Do not repay evil with evil, or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. Now, look up for a second. Remember, now, these are exiles. These are people who have, who have been scattered, who are being oppressed by their government. So this is a difficult and dangerous time. And what he's saying is, we need to bless. Who are we to bless? So from what context? We bless, we bless the emperor. Who's the emperor? Nero. What was Nero doing? 
he was taking Christians and paling them on posts, burning them alive while he was having orgies all around them. And they, Peter says, you need to bless your emperor. You've got to bless the governors. You've got to bless your employers. You've got to bless your spouse. You've got to bless everyone. Now, can you imagine how shocking that is to exiles? How foreign? Why, why would we do I mean, This week I met with someone who has, because of business, is involved in uh, international things. I, I don't want to name anything because we're online and trolls watch everything. But in a particular country somewhere in the world, presently there are 1.5 million people in this particular country in concentration camps because of their beliefs. And the person who I talked with on Friday said, it is not dissimilar to Adolf Hitler and Jews in the 1940s. That is what it was like to these people. We are to bless. Now, you think, oh, here we go. Look at the example he gives now in verses, chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace. Notice all the must? Must keep their tongue. Must keep lips from deceitful speech. Must turn from evil. Must seek peace. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So let's talk about that for a second. Where does that come from? Your, your, your quotation, your, your footnote, is from Psalm 34. So let me tell you about Psalm 34. The author is a guy named David. He's running from his king. Now, David, in the story, 1 Samuel, has been anointed the next king of Israel. But the present king wants to kill him. So two different times, David is running away from this king and all his soldiers who want to kill him. And David goes into a cave. And who comes into the cave but the king? On two separate occasions, two separate occasions, David, who is a butt-kicking warrior who can kill people very easily, had a, a king laying next to him. He could have killed him twice. And both times, David chose not to. And both times, this king Saul said to him, you're a better man than me because you didn't kill me. That's the context for these verses. Go back again. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil, their lips from evil speech, so now king wants to kill you, David. Turn from evil and do good. Don't kill him. Seek peace and pursue it. Don't kill this one. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears attentive to the prayer. The Lord is paying attention. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So the Lord is going to come and make things right. Verse 13. So who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? Probably many people, rhetorical question. But even if you should suffer what is right, look at the word suffer again over and over in chapter 2, 3, and 4. Don't be frightened. Don't fear their threats. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. Why? So that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Look that again. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Verse 15. Be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks. Do this with gentleness and respect. Could you look up again? People think that's, a, that's, a, that's an invitation to share your faith. No, it's not. It is about non-Christian people watching you suffer. 
And what they want to know is, how are you doing this? How are you living with hope in your suffering? Remember now, we're on the margins. We're on the margins. Let me just describe to you real quickly now one more example of how on the margins we are. I'm going to talk about marriage in America. And I'm going to talk about what's called institutional marriage and sole partner marriage. Listen to this. In the last 100 years, relentless change in the practice of marriage in our country. Arranged marriages have been replaced by marriage for romantic love. Reliable birth control has become cheap and widely available. In vitro fertilization has become commonplace, and reproductive technology has greatly expanded. No-fault divorce has become the legal norm, and the sexual revolution of the 60s has become the hookup culture of the 21st century. But over the decades, the intended and unintended, the intended and unintended consequences has changed straight marriage in America. Marriage has become almost completely grounded in romantic love, sexual pleasure, and personal satisfaction. Childbearing is no longer an essential good of marriage. It often is not marriage and marriage ceremony, mentioned in marriage ceremonies. No longer is marriage a precondition for having children. Indeed, having a partner is not a precondition. A sperm bank will do just as well. Cohabiting before marriage is not only permissible, but viewed as normative and prudent. Divorce is seen as a legitimate unilateral decision when one person finds the other person unsatisfying. And of course, with many couples writing their own vows, using ambiguous wording, it's difficult to figure out if anyone's violated a vow at all. So then a scholar named Wilcox says, we've moved away from institutional model of marriage, which seeks to integrate sex, parenthood, economic cooperation, and emotional intimacy in a permanent union. This model has been overturned by the soul mate model, which sees marriage as primarily a couple-centered vehicle for personal growth, emotional intimacy, and shared consumption. The shift from institutional model to soulmate model is a shift in straight marriages. But the consequences are that easily moves to same-sex marriage, and within 10 years in our country, there will be polygamy. You can be married to multiple people. So in Christendom, in Christendom, Marriage was an institutional model. There were reasons, multiple reasons, for the institution of marriage to be part of life. Now we live in post-Christendom. And you can marry whoever you want. You, you know this. Not long ago, someone married herself. Someone else has married a dog. You can marry someone of the same sex. And soon, you can marry as many people as you want. Because if the model is soulmate, whoever is your soulmate, whatever is your soulmate becomes the one you love. And it might just be for a little while. No, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not advocating anything. I believe in traditional understanding of marriage. But we have moved to a culture now where we are now absolutely on the margins. And who you want to marry in our culture today is totally dependent on whoever you wish. So how do we live in a culture that is that different? It's, not, it just, it's so many areas. So all I'm trying to do is give you another example of how we are living in post-Christendom. So as we live in this culture, we're invited to be people who bless. Well, how do we do it? Let's go back to the text again. 
In verse 17, it is better for God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Now, there's a whole conversation about Jesus here for the third time. In fact, can I have slide number seven, please, Jim? This is the third time now Peter's going to emphasize Jesus. So in chapter one, it was about his holiness. Be holy as I am holy. So be loving. That was the whole point of, of that teaching there. Last week, it was to imitate Christ in places of submitting to those in authority over us. And here, we're going to see, we, we are seeing Christ who is victorious. So this is a wonderful passage, very difficult. Verse 19. After being made alive, Jesus went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. To those who were obedient long ago when God waited patiently for the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven as at God's right hand. Look at the next phrase. With angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. So what you have at the end now, this passage, you had it, it starting in chapter 2, verse 13, you have submit, 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 submit. Jesus submitted. We are to submit. Why? So people can see what Jesus looks like. But look how it ends. Now it ends like this. Everybody submits to Jesus. Three rankings here of demonic power. Angels, authorities, and he is in charge. So what Peter's trying to say to an exiled people, when you live with submission... In very difficult contexts, when you suffer for doing good, you've got to keep remembering that Christ has won. Let me push. You have to decide that you want a deeply embedded relationship with Jesus in the days ahead. We cannot play at Christianity in post-Christendom. When the whole culture at least affirmed certain things, you could just, we could all just pretend. When I came to Pella 27 years ago, almost everybody went to church because many majority went to church. You know what percentage of people in Pella regularly go to church now? Less than 40%. How about Marion County? 29% of Marion County. My friends who are pastors in both Los Angeles, San Diego, and in Chicago say the most committed members of the church come once every four weeks. Everything is changing and shifting. So in a Christendom culture, we could just do God stuff, God talk. We just kind of, you know, well, nod in our heads. and We're living in post-Christendom. So you just can't just say, well, well, uh, folks, we've got to get in a stinking game. I said this in the first service. Chandra Clark led worship first service. Phenomenal. Can you imagine me going to the piano? Well, let me try it. I'll play all I know how to play. No, here it's up. It's even messer. That's it. That's all I know. So I can try to play the piano. But Chandra plays the piano. She has trained. You can try to follow Jesus. Or you can train in following Jesus. But we're going to have to decide. And as crappy a piano player as I am, 
Can I use the quotation marks? Am I that crappy a follower of Jesus? I can play a couple chords. That's it. So what if things get crazier culturally? What if things get more difficult? And what if you find yourselves increasingly farther and farther and farther on the margins? How, do, how, how will we live? This is why this, these, our, our values, our values for these next two years, we want to have an intimacy with God that is deep and rich and strong. We want to have an identity in him that we are formed in Christ. We want to belong to him and to each other and we have a purpose, is to live, bring the kingdom where we go. Brothers and sisters, the water is going to get much choppier. Much choppier. And so we have the invitation to take these words from First Peter, someone who has paved the way. And you notice he focuses on Jesus. I don't know if you caught it all, but the first half of the service How many times did our worship leaders say or sing or did we read the name of Jesus? You are Christians, little Christ. We need to look like Jesus, act like Jesus. And here's one of the ways it will happen. It will happen through suffering. Timothy Keller wrote in a phenomenal book, He starts the book like this. The American people today do not have a theology of suffering. So think about our culture in post-Christendom. What does it mean to be a good Christian American? Well, it's X and Y and Z, but it includes things like have a nice retirement, having sufficient money, having really good health, beautiful relationships, and dying a peaceful death. In the history of humankind, how many people thought like that? Before our country, when did any nation ever talk about retirement, ever? In the history of humankind, how has humankind lived for centuries and much of the world lives today? We're going to live a short time. We're going to go through hard times. We're going to die. And then what? And what do we want? We want to have Disneyland. And when suffering comes, what do we do? How do we respond? See, that, that's really the question that First Peter's raising to us. How will we respond when things get really tough? When you're getting rocked? I mean, last, you, you know what I'm talking, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? How many, I, I could just go around this room, if I had permission. I could, I could, I could just ask people to stand up and I could say, and you've experienced this, and you've experienced this, and you've experienced this, and you've experienced that, and you've experienced that. And, we could go, and I could tell stories in this congregation of hurt and pain and suffering that would make many of us weep if you heard the whole story. This week I spent time with four high school students who want to commit suicide. Sat with students and tried to understand and just sat there and wept with them as they talked about wanting to take their lives. Talk to someone who was horribly sexually abused and listened in pain. And what do you say when those kinds of things happen to you? When you lose children or jobs or whatever? What, what, how do we, see, it's, it's, it's in this context. Now listen, now, this, now here's the segue. The segue in suffering is we have to learn and choose to bless. We need to bless each other. We need to say blessing. 
We need to give blessing. Go back to my story. The crazy research story. A stinking machine can go from 50% head, 50% tail, to 75% by intention. This is what I pray for Lane every day. Lord, may your Zoe, would your divine life rest on my wife and in my wife so that she can live a life for you and your glory. I'm blessing her. As we get older, some of us visit a small room on a regular basis through the night. And I have a tradition that when I come back, I lay my hand on Lane's head and I play, pray, Zoe. Lord, bless my wife. Let's talk about blessing. Slide six. What am I talking about? What is blessing? I'm going to use this definition. A blessing is a circle of light and love drawn another, another to protect, heal, and strengthen. When we offer blessings, we are put in, in a sense inviting a circle of love. In the podcast that Mike referenced, Steph and I are interviewed by Jenny Heseltine, and this is my this is how I was trained to pray for healing 40 years ago. So I'm gonna just tell you how I was trained 40 years ago. My teachers back in the day asked us to pray the light and love of Jesus every time we prayed for healing for someone. So I want you to think about that. I pray the light and love of Jesus. Imagine a magnifying glass and a leaf in the sun. Every time I pray in this way, I believe the light and love of Jesus goes through the magnifying glass and there's something that gets impacted on the person I'm praying for. Now listen to this. I believe every time I pray for the light and love of Jesus, that healing power is released every time. I don't know about physical healing. I don't know about emotional healing, but I believe the light and love of Jesus gets expressed. And that's a blessing. Do you understand that when we bless, we are saying, Lord, would you circle this person with your light and your love so that your protection, your healing power, your strength is given to them? Now let's compare it. So one of the... A young, so I, I can tell you her story. She gave me permission to tell her story. Who was thinking suicide? So I sat with her. And uh, so I said, honey, I'm, I'm, I'm old. I'm 65. I'm well married. At the end of all this, I said, can I just, could I just give you a hug, a dad hug, with a window open, my staff, staff could look in. Can I give you a dad hug? And can I just pray a blessing over you? So this young woman who's been thinking about taking her life, let me give her a hug. And I just began to recite Simple words of blessing. And when I got done, that young lady was snotting all over the front of me because she experienced the presence of Jesus in a blessing. Someone, if, if, if you invite me to come when you're dying, one of the last things I will do is I will bring anointing oil. And I'll take my anointing oil and I will... Mark you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I will kiss you on both your cheeks and entrust you to the Lord. What am I doing? It's a blessing. It's a blessing. 
When we bless, we're inviting the light and love of Jesus to surround someone. So what I'd like to do is end with a time of blessing here. Last slide, please. I'd like to have us do a blessing here and invite you to do one later. So let me share with you a blessing that I wrote, adapted this morning, uh, yesterday, or Friday somehow, sometime. Can I have the blessing, please, Jim? Let me read it through. Let me read it through, and then I'd like to ask if you'd be willing. The, the blessing is about, this is how I entitled it, and this is, this is available at the, at the Welcome Center. So the title is A Blessing for Friendship. What I'm asking us to do in this room is to provide a blessing over every person who's here. Every single one of us. Could we, as we speak these words, we intentionally invite a blessing, everyone here. So these are the words that I wrote. And I'll read them first, and if you wish, we can do it together. May we be blessed with good friends and learn to be good friends ourselves. Journeying with others to that place where there is love and warmth and kindness. May this change us. May it transfigure what is negative, distant, or cold within our hearts. May we be brought to goodness, kindness, and belonging. May we become a community of those who honor encourage and pray. May we treasure our friends. May we be attentive and mindful of them. May we be present and available and receive the challenge, truth, love, and light we need. May we not be isolated, but know the embrace of the one who is our true and best friend, Jesus. If you're willing, if you're able, could we provide this blessing over each other? May we be blessed with good friends and learn to be good friends ourselves, journeying with others to that place where there is love, warmth, and kindness. May this change us. May it transfigure what is negative, distant, or cold within our hearts. May we be brought to goodness, kindness, and belonging. May we be a community of those who honor, encourage, and pray. May we treasure our friends. May we be attentive and mindful of them. May we be present and available and receive the challenge, truth, love, and light we need. May we not be isolated, but know the embrace of the one who is our true and best friend, Jesus. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we thank you that you offer blessings, and you invite us to receive your blessings so that we can receive more and then give more away freely. So I pray this week that we be a people who flourish by blessing. Lord, I pray for each person. Each person. Would you ask the Lord to give you a person, a name, a situation this week where you can bless? Would you ask him?
And Lord, we pray that as your spirit gives us direction in ways probably quite small, but also very meaningful, we would bring your light and love and encircle people who desperately need to know that they are seen, that they are heard, and that they are loved. I pray your blessing over everyone in this room. For those of us whose identities are um, not accurate and not true, for those of us who often speak words of self-condemnation and self-hatred, I pray, Lord, you'd replace those with words of love and honor and welcome. Would you change thinking patterns that have been poisoned, which have been abused, which are negative, which are despairing? And would you transform and transfigure our minds, believing that you do love and you do bless? So Lord, we believe it all belongs to you. So we pray you take it all. May who we are and how we live bless you and bless all those you send our way. We pray your blessing on us as we live with blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.